Well, it's always a privilege to be here with you, to be able to celebrate Christ together, to be able to put his glory on display. Uh, as we talk about putting God's glory on display, and when we get together, we get to uh, celebrate what God's doing in our lives. And hopefully, uh, uh, as you head out of a service, you don't just rush out. You're, you're sharing with each other what God's doing in your, in your life during the week and praying for the upcoming week. And what a privilege it is to, to be a part of that uh, with you. Uh, we start a new series this morning. We're calling it Abraham, uh, a faith journey. It's not a biographical sketch, so we're not going to work through Abraham's entire story, but we're going to take sort of snapshots from his account and, and learn how his faith journey can assist us on our faith journey. And I think that's true all across the board, that, that someone else's faith journey, they're learning things that we can apply to our own life, that we too can, can grow in Christ. And so we're going to do that with, with Abraham as we study uh, his life a little bit. And of course, Abraham is listed among the who's who in scripture. He had a significant, uh, unique role in, in his place in, in sort of salvation history as God calls him out and he becomes the father of many nations that we'll be looking at over the next several weeks. And, and yet what amazes me most about Abraham, what, what, what amazes me so much about how God uses him in such an extraordinary way is how ordinary Abraham is. For me, that, that's really encouraging. In fact, God wants us to understand that because over and over again, he, he places this, this principle in our mind that he chooses Abraham not because of who Abraham is. In fact, he chooses him because he is somewhat ordinary. In fact, he reminds us that the nation that comes out of Abraham, the nation of Israel, was chosen not because they were really all that special because God chose them. And I don't know about you, but that really encourages me. Because I know I'm just an ordinary person. But an ordinary person in the hand of an extraordinary God can experience some extraordinary things. And, and that's what we see in the life of Abraham. And so we're going to jump in this morning and, and look at Abraham's call. You'll notice, first of all, as we do that, that his name is Abram. And so Abram's name is changed to Abraham later. And so since we're looking at a text where his name's Abram, I'm going to try to call him Abram, but it's possible I'm going to call him Abraham. And if you're not familiar with him, Abram and Abraham are the same person. So give me grace this morning as we look at his life. Context. Genesis 3 through 11 is dismal. If you read through Genesis 3 through 11, the fall has happened. You find that the flood has come upon the earth uh, that uh, there's a group of people who have actually gathered together and they try to make themselves like God, the Tower of Babel. He spreads them around, changes their language. So for chapter 3 through 11, you sort of read the account in Genesis and you go, this isn't looking good for humanity. Things are going in the wrong direction. And that's where Abraham's significant role in salvation history is, is worth noting. Because all of a sudden, in chapter 12, 12, verse 1, hope. Hope. And so that's where we start this morning, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed for Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people that they had acquired in Haran, 
and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land of the place of Sechem, at Sechem, the oak of Mari. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And catch verse 9. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So Abraham, who will later be known as Abraham, again a story for another time, has this divine encounter with God. There's this unique encounter with God where God literally speaks to Abraham and calls him out. And, and speaks to Abraham's future, but in speaking to his future, he speaks to our future as well. You're going to be a father of many nations, which was probably a, a really interesting thing for Abraham to hear since he's 75 years old and has no children. And in order to be a father of many nations, it's good to start out by being a dad. And God calls him to go. Now the repetition of the verb bless in, in verses 2 and 3 it is really, again, that, that transition from what we've seen in Genesis 3 through 11, this, this, this desperation of humanity. And all of a sudden, God calls Abraham, and immediately we see these, these repetition of the word bless, which says there's hope. That God hadn't abandoned his people. That God was on the scene, that God was working. And so God gives his plan to Abram that he will be both a nation and, and it will have just national and international dimensions. Of course, it's a, a timeless promise as we see fulfilled from, from Abraham all the way through our Savior, Jesus Christ. But now back to the passage. Notice that Abraham needs to surrender to the Lord. Look with me again at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And there were at least three things that Abraham had to leave in order to go. He couldn't do both. First of all, Abraham needed to leave his country, his nation, if you will, his, his city, his citizenship. Abram is from Ur. It's part of Mesopotamia. And Mesopotamia is, is where we know uh, historically is, is where the oldest civilization in the world is. And so here's Abram. He's a part of this, this, this city. And, and that city would have offered him security. It's hard for us to really understand in, in Canandaigua in 2022 what it would have been like to, to have lived in the time of Abram where, where security wasn't something that was really taken for, for granted. Being in a city would have offered some protection. Living among his people would have offered some, connect, uh, some protection. And, and here he was and. He's in this city where he would have had things. And, and that's another thing that, that we take for granted. I mean, you can go down to Wegmans, you can go down to Tops, we can get whatever we want. Most of the world didn't have that. A city would have offered more of it. And so he had all this around him. He's a city boy living really on the water there on the Persian Gulf. And God calls him to become a nomad, to head out into the wilderness, head out into the desert where there weren't all those things that he had in the city. No, no, having spent his life in a bustling city at the edge of the water, Abram must have found a nomad's life a big transition. And that's when he left. 
He also leaves his family and status. God's invitation to Abraham challenged him to abandon the normal sources of personal identity and again, security. Not only did the city offer him security, but your security was, was really wrapped up in your clan. If you came from a powerful clan, people tended not to mess with you if they knew the clan you were from. If you didn't have a clan, then you were out on your own and you were vulnerable to those who would attack you. There weren't as laws as, as we have them today. They would have had some laws, but, but mostly the law was if you can get away with it, go for it. That's how people survived. And so he was walking away from that. He was leaving his family. He was leaving his status. In fact, to obey, Abram must trust God implicitly. All human support is largely removed. So those things he would have trusted in from a child, his parents, his clan, his city, it's gone. Thirdly, Abraham needed to leave his father's house and the right of inheritance in the extended family of his father. This, this is no, no little deal. He would have had an inheritance from his father. He would have had position. And he gives both of them up to follow the Lord. And in part, it could be that God calls him away from these things to protect him. You say, Craig, what do you mean? Well, Joshua 24.2 tells us that Abram's father was a worshiper of idols. And to be real honest, Abram probably was raised as a worshiper of idols. He lived among a people who believed in many gods. And something unique happens to Abram. God speaks to him, the one true God. See, what he knew about these false idols that he had worshipped, or at least had been around the worship of them, is that they never spoke to anybody. In fact, they, they saw the idols as distant. They were doing their thing, but they didn't really care much about the people who worshipped them. In fact, they worshipped out of fear that maybe we can appease them enough or they won't punish us. And all of a sudden, God calls them away from this and says to them, I'm the one true God. And this new God, Yahweh, was very mysterious, I'm sure, to Abram, because he's personal. He's involved. He's, he's calling Abraham to experience something with him. And so God's call on Abraham was surely a test of faith. He leaves what's familiar. He leaves resources. He leaves security. He even leaves a religion, if you will, that he was brought up in to go into this new faith journey with this new God who he's experiencing in his personal way. Faith. Hebrews 11.8 speaks of Abraham from the New Testament. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Catch this. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, that's not just true for Abraham. That's true for us as well, isn't it? I mean, I don't care how well you keep your schedule. You know the appointments you're going to go to in a given day or, or how good your to-do list is if you're a to-do list person. You know exactly what you're going to do at 9 and 11 and 12. All of us know that when you step out of bed, you have no clue what that day has for you. Some days you go into the day and you're like, wow, I didn't know all that good stuff was going to happen. What a great day. And sometimes you go out and you go, wow, I didn't know all that stuff was going to happen. What a day. And much like Abraham, we're on a faith journey, no matter whether we realize it or not. Every day we step out of bed, it's a faith journey. There are things that we can control, and yet most things we cannot. But the one thing Abraham could control, and the same thing we can control, is where we place our faith. 
And what Abraham discovered and what Abraham shows us is that faith really does lead to obedience. Obedience doesn't lead to faith. Faith leads to obedience. Abraham didn't go because he knew for a fact where he was going. He went because he had heard the voice of God and trusted in him. And really, if we were to be honest, when we're walking with the Lord, if we're keeping in step with his spirit, it's because we trust him. And when we don't, it's because we're trusting in something else. Maybe it's our own plans. Maybe it's the plans that someone else has planted in our hearts. Maybe it's the plan of society. But we've all been there, right? Don't raise your hand because I don't want the person next to you to know that you may be in the same group as everyone else in this room. But my guess is I'll put it up for me. We've all tried to do things our own way. And you walk your own way and then you wonder why things don't go the way that you want them to. Or you wonder why you can't, you're doing things your own way. It's contrary to God's way and you wonder why you're not living a blessed life. You wonder why there's no peace and no strength and, and no direction. And, and, and really when I think about it in my own life, it's foolish for me to think I can do anything by any old way and that things are going to go well. But when I place my faith in God, it doesn't mean that the world isn't screwy. It doesn't mean that there's not chaos. We all walk into the whirlwind from time to time, don't we? But what I receive from God is, is his promises his peace, his strength. It's not obedience that leads to faith, it's faith that leads to obedience, but yet the more we walk in obedience, the more we see God's faithfulness, and it just grows our faith, and then we become more obedient. And so there's something quite powerful about journeying with God and placing our faith in him. And Abraham shows us that faith really does lead to obedience. Faith leads to obedience, which is necessary for the promised outcomes that God has called and placed into our lives. Look at what God says to Abraham. Genesis 12, 2 through 3. Let's look at those verses again. And I will make you a great nation. Again, now that's a faith step. He has no kids. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. How many of you think that's a pretty big promise? And you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. Although Abraham is called to, to be a blessing to others, that there's this interesting interaction that the, in other, the only way that other people can be blessed is really by receiving him well. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, that's no different than us. We have an amazing ability to take the good news of Christ and the love of Christ into the lives of others. But they choose whether they receive it or not. We have no power over that. How many of you have loved someone so much if you could force them to accept Jesus, you would? Come on now. But you can't. I had a friend one time so frustrated with his sister because she wasn't walking with Christ and they were both raised in a home where, where Jesus was honored. And he said, I don't understand why she just isn't wising up and, and getting with the program. And I said, Eric, I said, are you saying you came to Christ because you're all that smart? He got quiet for a minute. No. We come to Christ simply because he offers and, and we've accepted. It's by faith. It's by faith. And, and Abraham's given this amazing ability to be a blessing to others. And God's blessing was, was never intended for only his good, but for others. And that's true in our life as well. 
That when God blesses us, it's, it's not just so that we can hoard the blessing. And he doesn't bless us in such a way that, that we need to because God's blessings are endless. And so it's not like I have peace, like I feel like God's blessed me with peace and I've got to hoard that peace. I can't give that peace to anyone else because if I do, it'll deplete my peace. No, 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 no. God says, I've given you blessings to be a blessing. There's a double purpose. So when God blesses you in your life, it's not just for your good, it's for the good of those around you. In fact, every time God's working in our life, which is constantly, it's for his glory, it's for our blessing and the blessing of others. And Abraham's able to experience this, and we're able to experience this too because of our understanding of faith. In Hebrews, we looked at Hebrews 11.8, Hebrews 11.1 gives us the biblical definition of faith. People say, what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 gives us a biblical definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is certain of things hoped for. What was hoped for? Well, God's promised blessings will be fulfilled. Abraham, for instance, is told what? Go, and I'll show you a land. Abraham doesn't say, well, I'll tell you what. Show me the land, and then maybe I'll go. Anyone ever try to make those deals with God? You know? We often use Gideon's fleece. If you know the story of Gideon, he lays out the fleece as if that's a biblical precedent. No, that's a description, not a prescription. He would have done better just to have obeyed. Abraham obeys. Why? Because he had faith. He had things, faith in the things hoped for. He had faith in the things not seen. What's not seen? God's power and faithfulness in life today. The reality of it is, we don't always see God working even though he is. Come on, church. Don't get quiet on me. Have you ever gone through a situation and thought, God, where are you? As if he went somewhere? He's there, he's working, we just may not see it. Faith is the belief in the things we don't see. It doesn't mean it's an ignorant faith because we understand from testimony after testimony after testimony from God's word, from other believers, that God is at work. So it's not a blind faith per se, but it is a, it is a faith that doesn't always see the outcome. It doesn't always understand why things happen the way they happen. In fact, the reality of it, faith is believing in advance what only makes sense hindsight. I mean, really, right? I love it when people say, when we get to heaven, we'll know everything. I said, no, you'll know as much as God wants you to know. But it won't matter when we're there. So Abraham shows us that we grasp God's promised blessings by faith. I mean, that's really what Hebrews 11 once told us. We, we grasp God's promises by faith. As we read through the promises of, of the blessings of God, especially in, the, in our lives as believers, over and over again in Scripture, here's a promise, here's a promise. It's ours in Christ. We understand that. But to activate those promises, we, we, we do it by faith. So what can be true for us, what can be true for us, may not mean that it becomes a reality in our daily experience because we're not experiencing it through faith. It's like having a car in the driveway that has gas and the engine and everything else and we still push it everywhere. All the power is there, all the resources there. We just choose not to believe it, to trust it, to get in it and drive it. And that's our faith journey. And you say, Craig, what do you mean? Well, for instance, God gives strength to the weary. Isaiah 40, 31. God gives strength to the weary. He doesn't say he sometimes does. He doesn't say, well, he could. No, he gives strength to the weary. Isaiah 40, 31. 
But we only receive that by faith. So if we sit there and we go, I'm, 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 I'm weary, I'm tired. I don't have any more to give. Well, the scripture says God gives strength to people like you and me. Do we believe it? Because we believe it, then we get up and we go. We walk with them. Have you ever had one of those days? Lord, I don't have enough strength to make it through this day. Guess what? You're here. You made it through. Catch it? Maybe at lunch you'll figure that one out. But you made it through. By faith. God's love never fails, Isaiah 54.10. Have you ever wondered where God's love was? What do you mean it never fails? I'm going through this difficult time and Man, I just heard a story this morning. I was praying with some friends of mine here at the church and what a devastating reality they're living in right now. And the world would look at it and say, well, where's God's love? But we as, as two brothers and his sisters, we were praying, we know God's love's on the scene. We just don't see it. His love doesn't fail. Situations do, people do, but God's love doesn't. We embrace it by faith because it's a promise. So there's some out there that say, if you name it, you can claim it. And I'm going to tell you, you can't name and claim everything and get it. You know, I don't have a Lamborghini. If I can name it and claim it, buddy, I'd be driving it this afternoon in this weather. You know what I'm saying? But I can name and claim every promise of God. Come on, church. I can name and claim every promise of God. God will make our path straight, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, but... We got to have faith, trusting in the Lord with all of our heart, not leaning on our own understanding. Appropriate by faith. And here's the beautiful thing it's not the size of our faith, it's the object of our faith that makes a difference. So you may be sitting there and say, Well, Craig, that's great for you. You probably have big faith. And I, I could wrestle with that one sometimes. Sometimes I, I find myself saying to God, Lord, I trust you, but help me where I don't trust. More times than I like to admit. God, grow my faith. And yet it's really not the size of faith. So how do you know, Craig? Because Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, he wasn't talking about a physical mountain, by the way. He's talking about anything, any obstacle in your life. You can say to that mountain, move, and it'll move. A mustard seed. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? you got to squint to see that thing. It's not the size of the faith. It's the object of the faith. Who are you placing your faith in? Because God spoke the mountains into existence. He can move them if he wants to. Come on now, if that didn't get you fired up this morning, I don't know what will. Think about that. If God spoke the mountains to existence, what is there that we go through that God can't go, no, move? That's why when the enemy is on our back, the scripture simply says resist him and he has to flee. Why? Because the very presence of God is in us. And when we trust in God, he don't want to mess with us because then he has to mess with him. No one wants to mess with him. Come on, church. So we claim, we claim the promises of God by faith. And then lastly, we read Genesis 12, 4 through 9. I'm not going to read that entire passage. I want to point out from verse 4, it says, so Abraham went. Then if we drop down to verse 9, it says, and Abraham journeyed on. Abraham went. So Abraham, the way it's worded there in Genesis, Abraham immediately goes. God says, go. Abraham says, I'll put faith in you. I will go. But then the way it's worded in verse 9, it says he continues going. And isn't that, isn't that the Christian journey? Like, my guess is, when you said yes to Jesus, that was a big step. But you've taken many big steps since then, haven't you? Like, every day, yes, Jesus. 
Every day, yes, Jesus. That person at work who's very hard to love. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> Come on now. That family get-together where you're going to find that person there, but you just know it's going to show up. Yes, Jesus. That moment where something happens that's devastating in life. And the Lord reminds you that there's peace in him. And you say, yes, Jesus. That moment you get that devastating news from the doctor and you feel your knees buckle from under you. And the Lord says, I will be your strength. And you say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. We say yes to Jesus and we continue to say yes to Jesus. And then in an interesting passage, verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I'll give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. As a matter of fact, he builds two altars. He builds this one, then further down he builds another altar. And, and, and why do I point them out? Because again, if we're blessed to be a blessing, if faith leads to obedience, and that obedience is a blessing in and of itself, it leads to blessing others if they choose to receive the blessing as we choose to receive the blessing, then this whole process of living for Jesus is a testimony to those around us. That these altars that, that Abraham set up, that he set it up in the land of Canaan, these people who didn't know the no one true God, and he's putting an altar up there, and you can't help but think a Canaanite walked by and said, what is that to? Well, that's the one true God. Who's that? Glad you asked. Think about it. He builds the other altar. What's that for? Well, this happened in my life. What happened in your life? I'm glad you asked. Why did it happen? I'm glad you asked. It's one true God. Who's that one true? I'm glad you asked. I mean, reality of it is, I think we make sharing our faith more complicated than it needs to be. Live for Jesus. Answer the questions that are out there. And one of the best things I was ever told, and if you don't know the answer, say, let's try to figure this one out together. I don't have all the answers. I've been walking with Jesus for decades now but I know where to find him. And Abraham sets up these altars and they were really, when you think about it, Abraham shows us that our faith is a witness to those who've yet received Christ and encouragement to those who have, because I can't help but think that those who didn't know Christ saw these altars and wanted to know the story behind them. And then there were those who maybe who were in Abraham's clan who were traveling with them and, and they had a bad day and, and they thought, you know, where's the hope in this? And they pointed to the altar. Remember what God said? Remember what God had done? One of my pastor's favorite verses when I was in high school was from Revelation, Revelation 12, 11. Probably not the, many of the verses you're thinking of in Revelation, but this is his. And they have conquered him. Who's they? It's us, believers. And they conquered him. Who's him? It's the enemy, the devil. And they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Revelation 12, 11. You know what a testimony is? It's an altar. It's when, it's when you tell where God's story is intersected with your story. Have you had those moments, church? Where you were in one of those seasons, not a day, a season, and God showed up. And someone said, you're going through such a difficult thing. How can you do it? And you say, I'm glad you asked. It's not me, it's Christ in me. Who's Christ? What, what, what are you talking about? It makes no sense. Glad you asked. 
When I went back to school after uh, pastoring for eight years, God called me to go back to school, which was something I never wanted to do. Had no interest in it at all. In fact, I was just one of those, to be honest with you, preachers who thought if I have the Holy Spirit in the Bible, I got more than I need. <laughs> but he called me back to school, and, and my wife knew it. Well, I can't say she knew it before I did. She surrendered to it before I did. I can remember driving home from vacation where he visited a friend at that particular university, and she said, God's calling us there, isn't he? And with all honesty, I said, I know he is, but I'm not ready to say yes yet. But I knew. Came back, talked to my lead pastor, and he was as much in denial as I was. And I, He's a spiritual father to me. And he said, well, if you go, and his wife leaned over. I don't know what it is about the spiritual depth of women sometimes, but it, guys, they put us to shame. I, she, she looked over at me and said, no, John, he is going. <laughs> the problem was we had bought a house within a year of moving. Um, the housing market wasn't all that great. It just seemed like a bad time. Uh, I like that house. We've been looking for a house for like four years. Finally, we're able to get into one. And as soon as we, it seemed like as soon as we got into it, the Lord said, it's time to leave it. I like that little house. So we tried to sell it, just knowing that if God had called us, then certainly it's going to sell, right? No, 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 it wasn't going to sell. And, and, but God provided someone and said, well, I'll rent it from you and I'll, I'll buy it. In, in two years. It wasn't an official like rent-to-buy type thing, but I trusted this person. So we were in school. Things were going well. The, the, he was renting it for exactly what the, the payment was. So things were working out pretty good until one day he said, I got transferred. So we put it up for sale again. God had given him a bonus, and he said, I don't want to leave you with the house. And the bonus allowed for him to pay, I think it was another month's rent. Chris probably knows the story better than I do on that end of it. But all I know is someone bought that house in time where we didn't have to make a payment, which was good because we were in school and didn't have money to make it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we had enough money afterwards when everything was said and done where we went out, I think, to Sonic to celebrate. <laughs> have you ever had it? You know what Sonic is, right? It's like McDonald's on steroids, you know? And so, so that was like our place. That tells you where we were financially. Like if we could go to Sonic for, you know, at the end of a week, we, we had saved and we were making it high on the hog there. And so we got it. So we went, we went and celebrated big time. I'm talking slushies, tater tots. You get the picture of God's faithfulness. You know what I just did? I, I, I showed you my altar. That's a testimony. And Satan's defeated when? When we look at the blood of Christ that allows us to enter into this amazing saving relationship and where his promises are, are true in our life and we can walk in them. Think about this. Ultimately, the offspring of Abram or Abraham is Christ. Blessing the nations, blessing you and I, blessing those outside the walls of this church when they receive him. So Abraham shows us what? That faith leads to obedience. And if we grasp God's promised blessings through faith, that, that we can walk in them. And faith is a witness of those who have yet to receive Christ and encouragement to those who have done so. Church, I've got to be honest. Preparing for this message has changed the way I've prayed for people. I have a friend who almost every morning during the week I send a prayer text to. And typically on that prayer text I'll say things like, hey, would you give her strength this morning, Lord? Would you give her peace this morning, Lord? All those are good and, and right prayers, by the way. They're not wrong prayers. 
But the Lord turned a little way, just a one degree turn in the way that I was sending prayer requests. I realized that when I wrote it one day, and I realized that's a different way of saying that. I said, Lord, help her understand the strength she has in you. See, hear the difference there? See, she's a follower of Christ. She's already got all the strength she needs. The Spirit of God resides within her. It's acknowledging it. I wrote one day, I said, Lord, help her realize the peace she has in you. See, I don't have to pray he gives what he's already given. I just got to pray that she understands what she's been given so she can walk in it. Abraham, by faith, acted in obedience. Abraham, by faith, claimed the blessing that God had given him when there was no humanly way possible that blessing seemed to be able to come to fruition. You're going to be a father of many nations. By the way, Abraham, you have no kids. That faith journey, stepping out, that which he couldn't see, allowed him to place these altars, these testimonies, that those who didn't know Christ may find Christ, and those who know Christ would be encouraged. That's the, that's the power of faith. That's the power of saying yes to God. And because Abraham said yes, we can sing a song that I sung in, in Sunday school when I was a kid, and it was Father Abraham had many sons. Anyone remember that one? Many sons said, Father Abraham. Probably the most annoying song anyone's ever written in their life. And if I did the motions to it this morning, I'd be out of breath because it is a cardiovascular workout. <laughs> Much more fun for the kids than the teachers, I think. But I am one of them. How are you? So let's just praise the Lord, huh? Let's just praise the Lord. Wherever you find yourself this morning, won't you consider taking that step of faith with Christ? You've yet to receive him. Why not receive him this morning? If you've received him, like Abraham, continue on in saying yes. Yes. Yes, Lord, peace. Yes, Lord, strength. Yes, Lord, witness. Let's just praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for such a blessing to be able to, um, to look at Abraham's testimony written for us in scripture and to be able to be mentored by a man like Abraham who lived thousands of years ago through your word is, is, a, is a tremendous blessing and I know as a believer I can take for granted having your word so accessible to me, having these mentors so accessible to me, having these lessons so accessible to me so God thank you thank you that we have your word, thank you that we have this account from Abraham and Lord, may we do more than read it. May we do even more than read it and understand it. May we walk into it. May we embrace your teaching this morning. Help us, Lord God, understand that your way is the best way. And so by faith, Lord God, let us walk in obedience with you. And, and when we stray, Lord, help us not beat ourselves up, but let us just get back on the road with you, heading the direction where you're leading by faith. Help us, Lord, as we're exploring your word and see all the many promises you have in there for believers. To claim them as we walk with you. We may not see how they're working out, but we believe that it's happening. And we understand it's not the, it's not the size of our faith, it's the object of our faith. When we, when we place our faith in you, the impossible becomes possible. And Lord, as we walk, would you let our life be a testimony? that those who have yet to receive you would, would be drawn to you and those who know you would be encouraged by what you're doing in our life or what you've done in the life of one, you can do in the life of the other. 
And Father God, may we not crave another's testimony for you have a beautiful, unique one for each and every one of us who say yes to you. So Lord, if there's anyone, whether it be here on the Canandaigua campus or online who has yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, why not even now in the quietness of their own heart, Lord Jesus, thank you for time for my sins, for being resurrected for my salvation. I want to walk in that new life, that relationship that you've created for me, that you've created for me to be in with you. And Lord, for the rest of us, no matter when we've received you, would you just this morning help us once again say yes to the journey that we're on with you? And as you've blessed this time of our gathering, as we scatter throughout this region and the places where we live, work, go to school and play, may you use us to make a difference. May you use us to glorify you, to yes, be blessed, but to be blessed so that we can bless others. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.